Specialty pharmaceuticals is a very big business, accounting for as much as 50% of all drug costs paid by insurance carriers. In order to bring legibility to it, Joe Cardozzi founded Free Market Health, and in this interview, we break down what makes something a specialty drug, the enormous growth that the company has experienced in less than four years, and why freer, more open markets within the realm of specialty pharmacy brings value to everyone. Check it out. So I wanna start off with just some basic definitions for people. What makes a drug a specialty drug? Great question, no clear answer. <laughs> uh, generally, we would describe it as high cost, requires some type of special handling, and um, is not a traditional drug that you would find at your corner drugstore. So every, you know, so many different players in the industry have different definitions. Um, but generally speaking, it's, you know, something that's not in your traditional drugstore. It's something that's very expensive for some complex condition and generally requires some type of special handling. And to some degree, because it's not manufactured to such a massive scale, that's probably one of the drivers that makes specialty drugs more expensive. But what else is, is causing, on a relative basis, specialty drugs to be more expensive than the average drug? Yeah, great, great question. There's some complexity in uh, manufacturing and production of specialty drugs. Um, there's a, this is not an easy question to answer, just yeah. as a caveat. Sorry. What makes drugs so expensive? <laughs> And this is a, a hot button political topic, but uh, it's it's a really good question. And there's not one specific answer to say like these things cost so much to produce. Um, I think what's what's you know clear is it does require significant investment in both time, resources, you know, people in in, in dollars uh, for a for a pharmaceutical manufacturer to bring a product to market. Uh, in the specialty world, that is. A little bit more complicated because there can be rare conditions that you know have a very low incidence of people in the country that have the condition as opposed to like high blood pressure which you know maybe all three of us have or will have at some point um, so in the specialty world there has to be a motivation for a pharmaceutical manufacturer or some person involved in drug discovery to invest the time energy and resources to target a drug that will only impact a very small number of people. Now, these very small number of people may have a, a very debilitating, life-altering, or life-shortening disease. So, in general, there has to be some type of payback mechanism in place for somebody to be interested in investing you know, the resources to develop a drug to treat that um, smaller patient population. So, I think you could extrapolate that, that scenario out to say, you know, and, and and I don't know that we'll get into the economics of, of a pharmaceutical manufacturer in this discussion, but um, you can extrapolate that description out to these things have to be priced expensive so that there's a reasonable return at the end of that drug discovery and approval process to warrant that manufacturer or whoever's involved in the drug discovery to invest the time, energy, and resources to target that smaller patient population, that smaller um you know, incidents of, of a disease state. So we could probably talk for hours on drug pricing and, and policy and the whys, but I think in general, that would be kind of my um, simplistic 
view of of why drugs are so expensive and the the hope or the aspiration or or maybe you know the miracle of health insurance is that the law of large numbers kind of protects you to some degree where if you are that outlier case needing that outlier specialty pharmaceutical the fact that you're in a large pool of payers basically allows that insurance carrier to amortize the effective cost across that entire population and still in certain cases, most cases, be able to, if it's good insurance coverage, be able to cover that pharmaceutical. Great caveat at the end there, if it's good insurance coverage. Yeah, I think that that nails it on the head of you have great insurance or you have insurance and you're covered. And whether you are diagnosed with high blood pressure and need a drug that costs, you know, pennies or you're diagnosed with some rare disease that requires some specialty drug that may cost hundreds of thousands of dollars annually, you're generally going to have a similar cost cost share structure, whether it's a copay or a coinsurance. So miracle is a strong word. That is the, the you know, immense value of, you know, health insurance uh, as, as it exists here in, in our country. Got it. So where does free market health come in? We hit on a couple of the stakeholders there, the insurer, the uh, manufacturer who's discovering these drugs. We play between today uh, another stakeholder in the insurer. So the specialty pharmacy themselves. So, you know, everybody's probably familiar with walking into Rite Aid or Giant Eagle or Walgreens or CVS, uh, their retail drugstore. Uh, and they're familiar with that model, the person in the white coat. I'm a pharmacist myself, you know, spend some time uh, behind the bench, as we call it. So I think folks are familiar with that model. If you've never been exposed to the specialty pharmacy market, you probably wouldn't understand that, you know, it's a totally different model. It's generally uh companies that work through this kind of mail order model, remote counseling model, you know, they're organizations that will um, receive specialty drug referrals, counsel patients uh, virtually over the phone, and, you know, we'll ship medication to them, ship these specialty medications to them. So it's, it's in general, a different model that isn't really, you know, from the, from the patient's perspective, that experience of of special, and I'm going to get to like where's free market health play. Yeah, it's a, a, a little bit problem. of baseline. Under, yeah, a little bit of baseline understanding. I think is is necessary to understand like the where we play, because the patients experience when they're exposed to the specialty pharmacy ecosystem is not the same experience as when you're exposed to the general pharmacy ecosystem. So you you go to see your specialist. You may find out you have. Um, hepatitis C or multiple sclerosis or some condition that requires a specialty drug to manage it or cure it in some instances. So that interaction, uh, as compared to the, you know, general pharmacy interaction where it's like, here, Aaron, um, you know, you have diabetes. Here's this medication that's going to treat your diabetes. Here's your prescription or tell me the pharmacy that you use uh, in your neighborhood and we'll send it there or you take it there. And then you're going to go and drop your prescription off and talk to the pharmacist or the technician there and kind of go on your way in the traditional setting. So in the specialty world, you, f- you find out you have that diagnosis, your, your physician or, you know, whoever you see at the office is like, go home, you're going to hear from a specialty pharmacy, right? And that's kind of, um, we like to describe this as the, the, the mess that ensues from there or the, the, you know, the challenges in the patient journey that ensue from there of that, that point where you say go home and or the, where your physician says go home and you're going to hear from a pharmacy um, that's like what happens next is is kind of the why we exist um, because it's it's a real mess uh, from the patient's experience because generally um, what happens next is okay 
we want to start this patient on this specialty drug. Specialty drugs are managed a little differently. Uh, oftentimes, a payer will try to find one pharmacy that can handle all their specialty drug needs. Um, so it's first like, okay, who's this patient? What insurance do they have? What what pharmacy network does that insurance company use? Or what pharmacy specifically does that insurance company use? Okay, great. I understand they're, they have Aetna or they have Highmark or they have whoever. And now I know what pharmacy I think they use. Okay, great. Check one. Um, next, is this a limited distribution product? Uh, so some, some pharmaceutical manufacturers bring these specialty drugs out and they're like, they're so special that we only want one pharmacy or one supplier to supply this product. So... Then they're like, okay, I understand who the insurance is, and they usually usually use this pharmacy, but wait, this drug's limited distribution, so I think they have to use this other pharmacy, but wait, there's this thing called a hub. So manufacturers who are bringing out these specialty drugs are sometimes like, we need a hub to do some services and make sure that uh, somebody else is helping navigate all of these complexities of the specialty drug world and like helping the patient get started. Um, so sometimes the doc's like, okay, know the insurance, uh, know their pharmacy, but wait, we can't use that one. It's a little bit of distribution. Okay, wait, does this one require a hub? Yeah, okay. All right, I think I got to get it to the hub. So they get it there and it comes back and it's wrong. And it's like, oh no, this one didn't need to go to the hub. Um, so there's there's all of these like starts and stops and, and you know, misdirected interactions as we would describe it. Uh, ultimately what you have is this, this current state in the specialty drug world because of all this complexity what pharmacies can service this product? What pharmacies have access to this product? Is there a hub involved? Did some um, salesperson from a pharmacy sell that doctor on just like, hey, send me all your prescriptions and I'll do your stuff for you. Uh, so there's there's all this um, kind of fragmentation, complexity, and a lot of folks trying to get their um, hands on that specialty drug referral. And remember back to your original question, it's like, why are these so expensive? That's why so many folks are trying to get their hands on it because they're very high value prescriptions, they're high value referrals. They want to service those patients uh, because they're, you know, much different revenue opportunities for pharmacies with uh, specialty drugs as compared to traditional drugs. So, really long-winded uh, answer because what I guess maybe just to put a cap on that, what happens is what should take, you know, really like. A couple of hours for that doctor to say, okay, I want to start Mrs. Smith on this specialty drug. And I, you know, we didn't even talk about prior auth, but I have to get this through the payers or the health insurance company's prior auth process, which most folks generally know about, you know, they want to ensure that it's clinically appropriate. They, the health insurer, want to ensure it's clinically appropriate and um, necessary for that member. So the docs know that they got to get it through a prior auth process. Then they got to get it out to a, the pharmacy, right? Especially pharmacy. So like in a simple set of flows, that, that really could be easy and could take hours, you know, maybe a couple of hours. But that mess of the current state, as I was describing, leads to patient experiences where it could be, you know, weeks or months before they actually hear from the pharmacy that's like now has the prescription is authorized to service them so that patient who left the office with this kind of life-changing life-altering diagnosis you know maybe they just found out they have cancer maybe they just found out they have multiple sclerosis and they're like they're overwhelmed and they want to start their 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 medication to help treat cure manage their condition they're at home just like i thought i was supposed to hear from somebody probably calling their doctor, probably calling their regular pharmacy. Hey, can you help me out? So that's, you know, 
in our opinion at free market health and you know where our mission orients uh to at free market health is like that today's process can be a real mess for the patient and you know taking four to six weeks or months to get started on a specialty drug is an absolute failure for patients you know it's it's probably impacted you know you know, us in this room by a family member, you know, hopefully not each other, but, um, you know, certainly everybody can relate to somebody who's had to get started on a specialty drug or has a specialty condition. So our goal as a company, our mission as a company is never let this messy process fail a patient. So that's where we come in is we're, we're a platform as a service, a healthcare technology company. We're sitting in between the payers of specialty drugs and the providers of specialty drugs or specialty pharmacies. So uh, what our goal is in sitting in between them is we're creating a, a, what we call a care-driven marketplace. So that's the model that we bring these two together. We're about strengthening the connection of the payer saying, this drug is clinically you know, appropriate and necessary for my, my member, my patient, my employee. Uh, and we're, we're about strengthening that connection of the payer saying this thing is is approvable, this specialty drug is approvable, and the pharmacy that's ultimately best suited to manage the care for that particular patient. So that's our goal as a platform as a service is like orchestrate uh, the complexity in this specialty drug ecosystem and help facilitate a match of a patient and their referral, their, their referral for a specialty drug to a specialty pharmacy that's really well-tailored to manage their specific care needs. And the way that, I mean, there's, there's a multitude of ways that value is going to be driven through something like that. But to me, when I hear that, is that this is fundamentally a highly illegible market within which to operate. So, so there, there are probably, you know, processes and best practices, but because of these nuances of, you know, is there a hub? Is there not a hub? Is this an appropriate application of a hub just as its own kind of micro problem to be solved, but then applied across, you know, uh, orders of magnitude, uh, number of, of participants and nuances and, and technicalities is simply providing legibility into something that is arduous, that no one can really own within their own mind right like you think about you know the dewey decimal system helping a librarian identify where the books are within the library that they're managing the ability to digitize that in a substantially more complex uh you know amount of data points that transcends what one person could hold in their head there's there's not a, a a process now where someone is you know, clicking their button and getting the problem solved, they are kind of, you know, step by step, you know, marching through all of these, these steps before they're even able to find clarity. In a, in a point in your life, you know, from the patient seat where you're overwhelmed and you're sick and you need help. And this, this specialty drug is going to help you and sometimes in some instances cure you, you know, cure the condition that you have. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great way to describe it. Um, and, and maybe if I could add just a little bit more context to the problem set um, or kind of the, the, the nature of the ecosystem and how the um, books in the library to use the Dewey Decimal System have gotten like, uh, you know, there's, there's so many more books in the library now. So what's happened in the specialty drug world is, you know, not too long ago, and maybe really interestingly as a Pittsburgh caveat here, um, being a Pittsburgher born and raised uh, Pittsburgh is the birthplace of specialty pharmacy. So this is, there's a, there's a very, um, 
cool tie-in as it relates to free market health and an innovative and potentially disruptive model in the specialty industry. What's very cool is it start like the specialty industry started here. So there was a, a company called Statlanders in the early 90s that was basically formed out of this need where a manufacturer, Merck, I believe, was bringing a product to market. And they were like, we need a, a pharmacy that can deliver special care for special patients and kind of uh, do these special things that we need uh, as we bring this product to market. So it's a finite patient population, kind of back to what is a specialty drug. They were bringing, Mark was bringing this product out. It's a finite patient population, and we need this far, we need a pharmacy to, to, you know, manage these patients in a special way. And, you know, what's really cool is some of the folks that work at our company, advise at our company, invest in our company, you know, we're there. We're there at the, you know, the birth of specialty pharmacy at Statlanders. Um, so it's, it's a really neat evolution story in Pittsburgh in that what started here, you know, humbly, humbly speaking, is evolving here uh, through what we're doing uh, in this, this kind of technology-driven orchestration process in our care-driven marketplace model. So um, just, a, just a quick aside, but what's happened from that point in time in the early 90s of Statlanders, there was one specialty drug, there was one specialty pharmacy. Fast forward to now, there's hundreds of specialty drugs. And kind of back to that definition of you know, there's no, like, there's 452 specialty drugs. No one agrees on, you know, exactly how many there are. But say there's more than 500 specialty drugs. And, you know, there's probably, at latest count, 2,000 or more accredited specialty pharmacies. So these are pharmacies that have invested in uh, the certifications, the accreditation standards to be called a specialty pharmacy, to, to be able to manage these specialty patients. And that, that 2,000, just to put it in context of like there's probably, I don't know, 60,000 or more uh, traditional pharmacies out there. Okay. So uh, just to put that, you know, numerically in context of like specialty pharmacy versus, you know, the right aid on the corner. So not too long ago, you know, 92, there was one. Not too long ago, there were a couple hundred, like five, you know, maybe five, six, seven years ago. So there's been this massive proliferation in the number of accredited specialty pharmacies, in the number of pharmacies that are investing in specific care models. Like a pharmacy may say, I'm going to choose to be a cystic fibrosis specialty pharmacy. So I'm going to hire clinicians. Wow. I'm so that nuanced in micro. That, that micro. Uh, and, you know, why would somebody do that? Because there's a number of cystic fibrosis products. There's a, a patient population that um, needs great care. And, you know, We'll kind of talk a, a little bit more about the evolution from Statlanders to, you know, where we're at today. But um, folks are, are investing time, resources in care models within niche therapeutic categories because they're, again, they're, they're, they're high-value categories or high-value specialty drugs. And there's the opportunity to deliver great care for specific patient types. So that, that proliferation of number of specialty pharmacies is, has been pretty recent. Uh, over the last, you know, five, seven years, uh, all the while. So there's a, a, a large number of high quality specialty pharmacies. All the while, market share in this specialty drug space has been concentrated uh, in four players. So 80, almost 80 percent of the market share in the specialty drug world. So like pharmacies that are fulfilling the prescriptions for specialty drugs. 80 percent of it's in four pharmacies. 
for large specialty pharmacies. And, and those those specialty pharmacies are, 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 you know, great at some things. I used to work at, uh, at some of them and, you know, wonderful people there, strong clinicians, like folks that are motivated to help patients. But as they, they've scaled to that degree and as this, you know, increasing number of like laser focused pharmacies on specific disease states, specific patient types, specific care delivery models, there's now this kind of problem set for the payer because the reason that the market share rose to 80% in those big four is because payers historically have said, I'm going to contract with one of those big guys because generally like they're going to have, you know, they're specialty pharmacies. So they're going to be able to, you know, kind of deliver some level of special care for special patients. And presumably because they're big, I can tap into the scale and, you know, uh, get, you know, competitive reimbursement rates. So the, the world has kind of changed around that, that legacy contracting model of this payer to one pharmacy. So this one to one to one contracting relationship, which kind of presents itself with this one size fits all care model opportunity for the patients. So if you have cystic fibrosis and your payers contracted with this one pharmacy, and maybe that one pharmacy that your payers contracted with isn't necessarily specialized in cystic fibrosis management, you're kind of missing the opportunity of those pharmacies that have invested, have nurses, have clinicians on staff that may have cystic fibrosis themselves and can very very much so relate to the patients, very much so are well positioned to manage the patients. So the contracting model in the current state kind of misses the opportunity to connect uh, the members of that insurance plan to the pharmacies that are kind of maybe better equipped to, to, to manage their specific care needs. So that's how the, the, the ecosystem has changed back from that, like, you know, er, very early days of, you know, one pharmacy starting the specialty drug world here in Pittsburgh, special care for special patients to um, this evolution of, you know, a small number of pharmacies are managing a large number of specialty patients. And then all the while there's this, you know, number of pharmacies that have invested and are able to, but aren't, aren't able to access the patients because they're kind of locked into these, these payer contracts with one pharmacy. So that's where our model comes in is that we're partnering with these payers. We're partnering with these pharmacies and the payers are saying, we want to work with free market health because they have a technology driven platform that can help at the patient level, connect my, my members, my patients to pharmacies that are kind of best fit for them. So that might be connecting that cystic fibrosis patient upon the payer saying, hey, there's a drug that's clinically appropriate and necessary for for our member with cystic fibrosis. Let's leverage Free Market Health's platform to help facilitate a match to the best fit, especially pharmacy. So I I think there's a, a, a need to understand the ecosystem, the complexity of it, and the kind of proliferation in number of specialty drugs, number of specialty pharmacies, but also this like, um, you know, juxtaposition of, well, the current state isn't set up to kind of match those things together or help leverage like a payer and their need to manage costs and quality in a way that also serves their members, their patients of like getting to the right care providers for their specific conditions. And so bring it back to free market health. Um, the company is less than four years old. Is that or roughly four years old? Yep. Um, has already grown to 40 uh, plus people, 
50 as we sit here today. Holy moly. So even my data is already outdated um, and, and raised, you know, most recently a $13 million Series A, but raised substantial capital to get this off the ground. And so my kind of, you know, uh, connect the dots, like try to very quickly sketch a picture as an outsider sure. is that this is both a big and growing opportunity in market. They're, they're, we're not going to go down from you. you guesstimate 500 specialty drugs down to 300 at some point in time we're on our way to a thousand and beyond quick stat on that on that front so for a a payer's drug spend so say a payer spends a spends a billion dollars annually on on uh drugs 50 percent of it or more is on specialty however one to two percent of that payer's population is on a specialty drug. So wow. very small number of of members within that insurance plan are going to be on a specialty drug, but driving over 50% of the drug spend for that insurer. And those numbers, again, just like the proliferation and number of specialty pharmacies, those numbers have accelerated over the last five years. So as traditional drugs become cheaper and cheaper and more generic, and, and more reason. and more specialty drugs come out, and more and more conditions are treated by a specialty drug, like asthma, like high cholesterol. So some of the more traditionally managed products now have specialty treatments that are, you know, ideally delivering better outcomes for those conditions, but certainly come at a different cost structure too. So not to interrupt, but wanted to just kind of set that context of small number of patients huge driver of, of trend useful context so fa- so so big market uh, there, there are there is a margin there there is opportunity there there is pain there that can be addressed but there isn't necessarily a um, speaking of populations the population of people that even understand this enough understand this problem enough to attack it is not that big the folks that understand it well enough that are also free to go create a marketplace like this are not that many because a lot of people that understand are either running those special pharmacies, working at the payer level, or have some other you know high impact established role within the ecosystem. And so the problem, or I guess I would say, I always think about it like if you're in some sort of market, you're one of the players and maybe it's just f- the zone is flooded with competitors or right. there's a few competitors or there really isn't a competitor. And that's the type of thing, if the market's growing and profitable like this one, that makes the prospective investor and the prospective founder really salivate at, at the potential opportunity. Sure. It sounds more like the latter where there just w- weren't that many people on planet Earth who could articulate the problem, understand the problem as, as thoroughly as you've laid it out uh, so far, and conceive of a solution and then actually take the risk to go attack it. Yeah. not uh, This isn't a toot my own horn thing. Because uh, it's it's taken a, a village to of great advisors and great partners and great investors and great support system. But you're, it's it's a fair characterization. I appreciate the humility. I, I think it's more the point because what, what folks are often looking for when they listen to a show like this, or just in general, they're consuming a lot of entrepreneurial content. They're trying to find the meta patterns of how really interesting businesses get founded. And it is by wading into the illegible. It's like, you know, one of the tropes of like a college startup um, competition is that they all want like there's always a company that's like finding events locally that I can participate in. And it is still an eligible problem with probably like, you know, value to be gained there. But it's like 
all these college kids are all looking for something to do on a Friday night. And yeah. so it's like their problem that they understand. Yeah. And that's, you know, not everyone, but that, that it's a substantial population. The population of specialty pharmacists is just, you know, exponentially smaller than that one. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And, and I think the, what, you know, maybe further characterizes it is it's a, this healthcare, we call it managed care, which is kind of the intersection of payers and providers and uh, manufacturers. There are like really wonderful jobs and folks that know a lot, like as you described, are in wonderful jobs. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are great jobs They you have the opportunity, whether you're working at a health insurance company or, you know, a, a pharmacy or a manufacturer, you have the opportunity to make decisions, lead companies that can impact hundreds of thousands of patients, millions of patients. So it's, they're very desirable jobs. And so I think as you get exposed to more and learn more about the problem set and may have, you know, thoughts on how to solve, the challenge is you're in an industry that, you know, pays very well. You have the opportunity to deliver uh, solutions and care in big companies that impact, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of patients. So it's, it is a tough, you know, I can, I can speak of this because I was, I was there at that decision point and it's tough to leave a career like that, that has that combination of, you know, well-paying job, fulfilling. You're generally there because you're, you're a clinician at heart and you went to, you know, myself, I went to pharmacy school and, or you went, you went to medical school or you went to some type of, you know, uh, school where, where you originally set out to help people, you know, and you're probably at a point in your career where you're like, I, I'm helping a lot of people by the decisions I'm making in this organization and I'm probably getting paid well. So the, the risk to leave there, you know, is, is so great because you're kind of, you're, you're fulfilled in, in, you know, that your, your ability to help people in a broad scale, you're fulfilled, you know, career wise. Um, so I can say personally for me, I, I was in that position and never any instance or any opportunity I can, I have to give credit to my wife because I was like, will you give me 18 months to, to go try this and not have a salary? And, you know, kind of in that set of forces where you have a fulfilling job and you're getting paid well, it's like, that's a, that's a more difficult thing to, to walk away from. Um, but I was, I was convicted on this idea, on this concept. And, you know, if, if was able to, be successful could certainly impact thousands, hundreds of thousands, hopefully millions of patients, but never would have been possible if my wife didn't say, yes, go do it. And I support you and, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. Give me 18 months. It ended up being 23 months (laughs) until I had a paycheck. Uh, But, you know, I, I, all the credit is, is to, is to her for, for my particular story about why I was able to leave a great job and, you know, and start free market health. I would bet Hannah knows the anecdote that I'm about to share because I trotted out so often. But I I was at a uh, breakfast and I I would pay substantial sum to remember who the guy was on stage talking. But I was invited to this very uh, early breakfast. Very successful uh, guy, you know, definitely you know at least probably in his late sixties, if not seventies. And you know, just sharing what he'd learned. And he said, "There's really only two things you need to get right: your co-founder." and your life partner. You get those two right on the first try, you're good. Yeah. And to to some degree like that's what that you're you're articulating 
one of the presumptions that most people would overlook. They'd, they'd look at, hey, you know, Joe spent all that time in specialty pharmacy, look at the co-founders, look at the market size. It never would have happened if, if the home support was not there. Because it, it, it is, what a, what a life. And, and we did it at a time where we just found out we were having our first child. So, like, put yourself in that seat. Yeah. Hey, parents, <laughs> um, you know, thanks for helping, um, you know, helping put me through pharmacy school and, you know, went through business school and, like, thanks for all that support. Yeah. And we're going to have a kid and I'm quitting my job. <laughs> like, only, like, incredible, unwavering support uh, from my wife on the home front, like, would that ever have been possible? And, I, and I'm so fortunate because I know a lot of people because it's it was the least logical thing to do at that point in time where climbing the career ladder had a great job and like our risk profile was changing as a family. It's like, OK, we're going to have, you know, a child, a mouth to feed. And, you know, we've since had three more, which um, <laughs> complicates the story. It also like further endorses the um you know, the, the, the like unwavering support of my wife of like, you know, so that's just a, a, a personal aside, but, um, it's what you called out is a really important thing is like the folks that really understand this space. And I, you know, I'm, I've been fortunate to have great experiences, but there are so many other folks that I've learned from that, you know, have much more experience than me, um, you know, in this channel, but it, it is a big, it is a big decision point to say, I want to leave what I'm doing where I am impacting people to go do this thing that could, you know, potentially work and potentially impact people. So if you go and study, uh, like I end up reading a lot of the press releases, a lot of the stuff in the startup space, I've done the show for a while. One of the markers that you always look for is follow on investment. So if the, the company that was a part of the seed or part of, you know, an early stage, they follow along for another round, that's the firm that was right there, you know, up close and personal, seeing what was up. Yeah. They like what they see, they decide to do more. One of your investors did that going from, uh, you know, seed to series A, they, they continued on. And the, the, I'm sorry, both, both, sorry, sorry. <laughs> both of them. Um, so can you take us through some of the data points or some of the traction that free market has gotten in this realm? Because the, the, the essence of the marketplace, you study, you know, the benchmark has a ton of great stuff out about uh, marketplace businesses. And it's how do you actually seed both sides of it, in your case, the payers and the uh, pharmacies, that there is enough value being created via the nodes in the network, via you know, the liquidity of the marketplace, its efficiency, that you can earn a take rate as a part of the value that you're providing? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Really, really good question. So I, I think that's uh, another, you know, I'll, I'll maybe start with the, the lens to look through of like in the special, in the, in the drug industry between payers and, and pharmacies, there can be a lot of middlemen and, uh, you know, middlemen have been, you know, described, debated, um, chastised. And, and I, my, my, my personal view, our, our company's view is like, there aren't any inherently bad player there. You know, I don't believe there are inherently bad players at anywhere, uh, at any point in kind of the, the drug ecosystem. Um, so I think that's, that's the context, but there are a lot of middlemen and that's why, in the specialty drug world in particular, it can take months to get started on the specialty drug. Coming out as a platform, as a service, sitting in between payers and providers of specialty drugs, we are in essence another middleman. You know, 
and we have to be different as a middle. And I think, unfortunately, some of the some of the middlemen do potentially extract a little bit more value out of the out of the transaction than than they put in. And our goal as a company is to put in an immense amount more of value to the stakeholders in the transaction than we're extracting. And I. Go and ahead. just to yeah. jump in on there, the definition of a marketplace as uh, as a as a platform, which is also a part of how you're describing it, yep. that uh, Bill Gates popularized is, you know, Microsoft intends to be this platform for other businesses to build upon, and we don't want more than 10%. A good platform, 90% of the value that's created is passed on to other parties, other stakeholders in the system. But keep going. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great, um, you know, tie to a well-known business. And I think we would aspire to have a market share in, in a penetration like Microsoft. But um, so I, I think with that premise of lots of middlemen, we have to be different as a as a newer player, and we can be different because we're we're built on a modern tech stack. We're fully cloud based. We have a different type of operating structure, um, so we can be different, and we're motivated to be different. Not because of our our technology stack, but because we want to create more value on both sides of the transaction than we're going to take. Because that's a path to success, right? Because there's enough folks that are, you know, potentially not, not, um, you know, in that type of operating model. So a Switzerland of sorts as this platform as a service. So we have to be generating highly meaningful value to both sides. Because if we're skewing too much toward the payer, and the pharmacy's saying, "Well, you're just another tool that a payer's using to, you know, drive my reimbursement rates down." If we if if we skew or if we skew too far toward the payer and that happens, then we're not having an optimized network of high quality pharmacies that want to show up, that want to access referrals through our platform, that want to treat the patients that uh, are available to be treated uh, via our platform. So we have to be delivering value to both sides. There's economic value to both sides in the form of you know there is some cost savings in this kind of market driven. Uh, price discovery process that we that we enable, uh, so there there's there's savings from the payer side, which in selling things in healthcare you generally have to have some economic value prop uh, to your to your you know stakeholders. On the pharmacy side, because of the the orchestration and kind of where we plug into the process, and you think back to like all that work that that I described about like. Who's the patient? What insurance do they have? Does this require prior auth? Is it limited distribution? That's termed like benefits investigation and verification in the industry. And like docs offices do that, but pharmacies do that a lot, all the time, particularly specialty pharmacies. So there's this kind of front end cost structure that's in their, you know, cost to service a patient that we're able to extract by integrating with these payers and being uh, like kicking our process off after they've already deemed it's clinically appropriate and payable for the member. So what we're able to deliver on our platform to a pharmacy network is not only kind of fair, easy access to the most relevant specialty referrals for their organization. Again, if they've invested in cystic fibrosis care, we're gonna make it very easy to identify the cystic fibrosis referrals and, and make it easy for them to access them. Um, and it and and like not only is it fair easy access, but it's they're clean, they're authorized, they've been approved by the payer, they're ready to go. So the pharmacy doesn't have to do that administrative benefits investigation and verification work. They can redirect those resources to caring for the patient, to accessing that referral caring for the patient because it's kind of already ready to go. 
which is very different than the way that they access referrals uh, in, in today's state. So value creation uh, for our, our, our you know, marketplace stakeholders is absolutely necessary in an outsized value creation as compared to our take of it. But I think like can't talk about value creation for the stakeholders without saying like the patients at the center of it. Free market health is a business to business solution, but back to like the early part of the conversation, there's a, there's a patient, there's, you know, my mom, your mom, somebody's family member that just found out they have cancer. And if we can do our part in this orchestration of the process and this like connecting patients to potentially uh, better fit specialty pharmacies, if we can do that and speed the time that it takes for them to like leave their office and not only hear from a pharmacy, but hear from the right pharmacy that's tailored to them, like that's, that's our ultimate mission. We want to create value for the payer. We want to create value for the pharmacy. But at the end of the day, we like the mission of this company, like started by clinicians, started by people that care, that care about like better experiences for patients. That's the mission you know, create value, but at the end of the day, deliver better experiences for patients that have to get started on specialty drugs. Gotcha. And to, well, inputs wrapping up here, but the name free market health, like there is without, you know, trading too far in the direction of politics. Yeah. There is a certain person that would hear that and say, you know, Joe, I, d- I don't want more capitalism injected into my, yeah. you know, medical, my medical care. Um, right why that name knowing that it kind of holds a a specific connotation yeah that's a great that's a that's a great question and we could probably have a separate episode on um naming a company because that's something when you when you have an idea and you know you're like you want obviously at that point in time where it's just this concept this idea this business plan like you have visions of how big you want to be and like you hope someday somebody will ask you that question it's like but it's a really like it's a moment in time, and I I still have the sticky note where it's like you're crossing things out, and then you circle something, and then you go and you're like, is this name available? <laughs> is this domain available? So that's that'd be a really cool like, how do you pick a name? Yeah. But it's a great question, and I it was in like it's a very intentionally chosen name, and I like out of the gate you know that there could be a political connotation to it, and that's absolutely you know, not the, the nature of it at all. What it, what, what it's all about is there's, you know, a very opaque system that exists today, uh, in this specialty drug world, right? Maybe even healthcare in general. And our goal is, you know, in free market health, it's not all about the economic aspects of the free market. It's about fair access to information. It's about, you know, fair access to referrals to patients. There's a market-driven component to price discovery. There's also like, you know, for the, I don't know if it's history buffs or economic buffs, but it's like, there's also an invisible hand concept here of free market health as this business to business, you know, provider, service provider, platform as a service. There's an invisible hand that we want to be for the patient. You know, back to that mission, back to that somebody's mom just found out they have cancer. We want to be the invisible hand as this platform as a service, guiding that patient, helping facilitate that patient's journey to the right care provider at the right price, um, with the right service model, with the right accountabilities in place for that pharmacy to execute care. So um, 
there's a, a few dimensions to the name, to be honest. It's not just like, oh, yeah, we want a, you know, a, a market-driven uh, economic play here. But using one of the micro examples that you've articulated, if you've got the cystic fibrosis-focused specialty pharmacy or one of those big four, um, like 80% market share specialty pharmacies, the ideal scenario for the patient is that the quality and the focus of the smaller but more kind of targeted cystic fibrosis uh, solution can be elevated to compete purely on the basis of care for the cystic fibrosis yeah. patient. And potentially what that results in is one of those you know four big ones raising their game with their proportionally larger budget to meet that quality. And the end result is a better, better outcome for the patient. Absolutely. And that, that liquidity or clarity or legibility to the marketplace was previously maybe not completely missing, but much, much harder to access prior to free market health. I believe so. Beautiful. Uh, well, that's inspiring. I appreciate it. This has been a, a whirlwind of information. I'm going to have to re-listen to it <laughs> just to make sure that I internalize everything. Uh, but I appreciate you giving your time uh, to us today and all the work that you're doing on this front. Before we ask our standard last two questions, Joe, is there anything else you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you the chance to? No, I appreciate that. And, and I appreciate the opportunity, A, to be here, B, to like, thanks for letting me run on some of those topics because I can, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm fortunate to work at a company of like a bunch of passionate people that want to deliver great experiences for patients. And like, I'm, I'm very passionate about that myself. And like, it is, I know this is like an entrepreneur based podcast and it is a privilege and an honor to be able to do this, you know, to be able to, to start a company, to be able to do it here in Pittsburgh. We have backing from Highmark, which is, you know, just so wonderful to be able to, you know, look up at that building uh, every day as I live in the strip district and, and work in the strip district. But it's, it is, it's a privilege and an honor to be able to do this. And, you know, I really appreciate the, the opportunity to, to talk about it. Um, so thanks, Aaron. Of course. And and we recently did an interview uh, with another character. I'm, I'm not sure the sequencing of which one's going to come out first, but it was someone who's really focused on the concept of the solopreneur. So you as a single entity, maybe with a VA and a bunch of automated software can build, you know, a really nice lifestyle business that is you, you and solo. And I completely empathize with and understand the appetite or the desire for the lifestyle business and the, the benefits that that affords people given different circumstances. But for me, the thing that I love honestly more than just about anything else associated with my business is the team of people that I get to work with and the ability to, to some degree as the founder, be the fire in the belly of that organization that alights other people they also you know get that fire in the belly from the mission and the vision that you've created and to see other people tap into that and to get to all row together in in that same direction is intoxicating like as as much as you know an economic result or these other kind of you know things that occur to me that's like the thing that you know you, you get fired up for your first call of the day because like i get to see these other people that are all rowing with me yeah we are kindred spirits on that sentiment. Right on. And I think that there's a lot of uh, folks out there listening. If they want to learn more about free market health, uh, follow along with the progress and the things that you all are working on. What digital coordinates can we provide people? Yeah, appreciate that. Um, you know, freemarkethealth.com is where you can kind of get an at a glance view of us. Um, and then I think probably best channel is to follow us on LinkedIn. Right on. Yeah. We're going to link all that in the show notes, going deep with Aaron.com slash podcast for every episode of the show or in the app where you're probably listening to this right now. But before I let you go, Joe, I would like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. And this is this is 
non-healthcare related. This is, you know, entrepreneur related. And it's, you're in these moments in, in life and I've been there talking to, you know, friends about it, to colleagues about it, where you're like, I had this idea. Like, I think we could do this. I think we could, you know, I want to see if I could do this. And it's, it's, it feels risky. And you, you think through processes, you think through, you might even have a business plan. And, and it's like, being in that moment in time and, and choosing, yes, I'm going to go try it. Like if I could just encourage one other person, you know, I'm, I always think back to like, what's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? I go back and I find another job. Yeah. Right. But if you have an opportunity, if you have a, a you know, a, a great idea, if you have a, a, a mediocre idea that you can build a, a, a company around, that you could create a job around, uh, take a chance. You know, I, I think I don't want to use the Nike thing, you know, but, but honestly, it's like, that's it. It's like, just, you got to just do it. Just yeah. try. Maybe the Shia LaBeouf meme. I don't know if you know that one. I, I we, we could make a, what is it? A tall video? Yeah. A, a short form vertical video. A short form vertical video with that meme. Yeah. yeah. No, but that, that's it. It's on, honestly, it's like, uh, so grateful to have had the opportunity to be in that moment and choose yes. And I, and I hope more people do, uh, cause it's, it's, it's gratifying. It's fulfilling. And, you know, you, you might not always, you know, succeed, but uh, I don't think you'll ever regret trying. Before I started Piper, um, I read a book called Smart People Build Things. And it's actually written by Andrew Yang, who's now a political actor. Yeah. But prior to that, founded something called Venture for America, which was about stimulating different startup economies. And in that book, he articulated from his own entrepreneurial journey, one of his companies failed and he landed. He actually had a decent landing because of the network of other entrepreneurs that he was associated with through that time. And importantly, the rate of skill growth that occurred because mm. he had started his own thing. It's not to say that you completely stagnate if you're in another organization, right. that you can't grow, that you can't build skills, but it is required. that the, the entrepreneur that you were in 2019 when you started free market is not the entrepreneur sitting in front of me now. No the way. amount of iterations and growth that has been forced upon you, not your choice, is you know largely unparalleled in most other working environments and so recognizing that you know you you did have the background to, to some degree there's, i don't want to say privilege because you worked really hard at it but like you were coming from this industry where your skill set was gonna always have a landing place because of the demand for right. the, the skill set but even if you aren't that specialized that highly trained getting into the arena and and being forged in in, in that furnace is going to help you level up those skills and create access to other opportunities, even if that specific venture doesn't work. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for that, adding even greater context to, to the, um, what was it? Personal challenge? To the, the personal challenge yeah. of the audience. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving your time thank with us, you. Joe. I really appreciate yeah, it. This was great. Thanks, Aaron. We just went deep with Joe Cardozi. Hope you're out there. Has a fantastic day. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of my interview with Joe. If you want to learn more about specialty pharmacies, then check out our past interview with Dr. Gordon Vanskoy of Panther Rare Pharmaceuticals. He has built his own specialty pharmacy, one of the biggest around, and has a lot of additional insights to share.